Thank you, Maureen and, and Christine. Appreciate it so much. Just want to share a word or two with you from of peace and grace. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom and priests to serve God our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to be part of your kingdom and that you enlist us into your service. As we look at your word today, and especially as we look at the giving of the law, we pray that your spirit would speak to us in ways that maybe we haven't thought of before. Open our minds to understand, our wills to submit, and our hearts to love. In Jesus' name, amen. It was an interesting day yesterday. I had a medical appointment, nothing serious, but I was taking care of that, and I was going to come here to help our interim secretary with the bulletin, and she texted me that she was in the emergency room. And actually, she didn't text me when I came back. I came back, and she wasn't here, and I was wondering. I sent a text asking her if she would be coming back soon. Then I got a phone call from the blood bank saying, we really, really need you to come in. We've got some surgeries we need your blood for. Can it wait? No. And so they drew two units of blood plasma and one unit of platelets. That's how bad off they were. And so I dragged myself back to the church, and while I was there, get, and they were drawing the blood fr from me, I got the text message from Brooke saying, they can't figure out what to do to stabilize me. She's been having some flu, and they're keeping me here in the ER till I stabilize, whatever that meant. I hope she's doing better today. So I hurried back to the office, Unfortunately, Pastor Jocelyn was here, and, and we did the bulletin in quick order. So d drug group, I apologize. I typed it. I hope you have grace. Uh, if there are other such uh, things in the bulletin, such as misprints or doubled up announcements, we're guilty, okay? I hope you have grace. Like many Adventists of the 60s, young Adventists, I attended something called a boarding school. Any other people did the same thing? Adventist boarding schools back then were quite unique. They all had the same decor, pink and blue. It wasn't painted pink and blue, it just everybody knew it was pink and blue. When you went into the dining room for breakfast, there was the pink side where the girls sat and the blue side where the guys sat. At lunchtime, they would let us sit together, so kind of them. And so those who had a little interest in somebody from the other color side would uh, count off to make sure they could sit with the one that they were kind of interested in and liked being with. And the faculty knew that, and they all kind of winked and looked the other way, except one. 
Whenever he was there on duty, he made sure that they didn't do that. When you went to chapel, there was the pink side and the blue side for chapel. And you had assigned seats. When you went to church on Sabbath morning, there was the pink and blue side. You could sit anywhere you wanted to. And so once again, the couples, you had to, we had to, at our school, we had to file in. So they would count off to make sure they could try and sit in the aisle seats as close to each other as they could. Uh, when we got done with our meals or chapels, the couples would kind of be at opposite, the boys' dorm and girls' dorm were directly opposite each other, kind of waving as they walked back into their dorms. Anybody relating so far besides me? <clears throat> there were two faculty members that everybody remembers. The first one's name I will change because he is guilty. His name is Paul North. The second one's name I will not change because he is a good guy. His name is Carl Ashlock. Anybody here know Mr. Ashlock, Carl Ashlock? Mr. North's idea of his task and his job at the academy was to make sure everyone towed the line. If you were, forgot to get rid of your gum before chapel, he was there with a trash can in one hand and a pink slip for a demerit in the other with a smile on his face. He was the one that came to the, to the cafeteria to make sure that couples didn't count out so they could sit together. He was the one that made sure that when lunch was over, the couples weren't standing waving too long at each other. I mean, after all, what could happen that far apart? He just, it was his job to make sure the rules were enforced. I find it interesting when I go on Facebook and see some of my former classmates and who they have as friends. I really have gone to Facebook. Okay. Um, who they have as friends. That Carl Ashlock has a long list of former students who keep in touch. I have yet to see one who keeps in touch with Mr. North. Anybody wonder why? I don't. There are many people who've grown up with two pictures of God. Some people have a picture of God that he's just out there waiting to watch and find you doing something wrong. He's going to get you. Others have a different view of God, that God is there, and it doesn't matter what you do. He loves you anyway, and there's truth in that. And others have a picture of God as a God who knows us inside out, loves us anyway, and has provided a solution to the problem we call sin. We are coming back to our series on the stained glass windows in this church. We started out with a series on creation in which we talked about the fact that God created us out of love, that his purpose for creating man was to have fellowship with some beings he created, and he created man in such an atmosphere that they could find true, complete happiness forever. The next stained glass window we looked at was the story of the fall where man rebelled against God because he wanted to be like God. But God was still faithful in spite of the rebellion. He put into action the plan of salvation he devised before 
the foundation of the world. And he promised that there would be a Savior. And now we're going down in time to the Ten Commandments. We'll be doing a, a sub-series on the next Ten Commandments the first few weeks. A sub-series on the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to begin with a definition of each commandment. I'm not going to begin with an explanation, uh, the purpose of the commandments, whether it means the purpose of the commandments for the sinner or the purpose of the commandments for the saint, for the unbeliever or for the believer. We'll talk about that later. I want to begin with a look at the context in which the Ten Commandments were given. The context in which the Ten Commandments were given, because so often in the debate over law and grace, we miss the context, and the context is huge. Now, I, I could spend some time talking about the fact that the Ten Commandments were, were already in vogue from Genesis 1 all the way up through Exodus 20. I mean, after all, Cain was chastised and did face punishment for killing his brother, right? After all, after all, there were times when immorality took place and punishment ensued because of that, and they knew it was wrong. Scripture says that the reason the law was given in written form was that sin had increased so much that God didn't want anybody to have a reason to say, yeah, I didn't know. Going back to high school days. Wasn't that the usual cop-out if you could find a loophole in the law to say, I didn't know? Or the loophole in the rule? What we're going to look at is not to try and prove that the law is eternal. We will do that later, and it's going to be obvious as we go along. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the context. And if you get nothing else from the sermon today, here's what I want you to get. The commandments and grace were revealed together. The Ten Commandments and grace were revealed together. Now, there are those who don't believe that to be true. They, they think the commandments were given the Old Testament and people were saved by obedience in the Old Testament. And grace was given in the New Testament, and now we're not saved because the commandments are done away with, but grace is here. And the context of the passage itself, Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus chapter 35, tells us that's not true. Before we do that, I want to go back to our scripture that was read this morning. We're going to look very briefly at it. Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. The longest chapter in the Bible Psalm 119, 25 to 32, several places it mentions God's commandments. It talks about it in his testimonies. It talks about it in his statutes. It has a different ways of saying it. But I want you to notice what it says here. And I'm going to stop and make comments along the way. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. This parallelism in this verse is very interesting. The psalmist says, God, make me understand the way, how to live your precepts. And then he says, ah, 
in order to do that, I must meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. The psalmist asked God, God, when you teach me your law, do it graciously. We'll come back to that in a moment. So I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Anybody here think David didn't know the commandments word by word? I don't. Anybody here think David had a problem knowing that you shouldn't lie, kill, cheat, steal? Problems with following that sometimes. In fact, as you read these eight verses, it's not hard to see that David was saying, on the one hand, God, I struggle knowing I'm a sinner and knowing I break your law. I recognize the validity of your law. God, teach me and show me and make it happen so that I can follow your law. Do you, do you see that in that passage? And what I would like to suggest to you this morning is that when we look at the story of when the law was given, we will discover that God knew that we are sinners who will fall since the fall. He knew that we would need forgiveness, and he knew that we would need sin taken from our lives. And in the context of knowing those two things, God gave his law and revealed his law, and he revealed his grace at the same time. Some of you may be scratching your head. Where do you get that from? Let's look at it. The first thing we notice about when God gave his law is that the law was given by a compassionate God. The law was given by a compassionate God. You remember the story of the giving of the law? Moses goes up in the mountain with God. God tells him, look, you, you, need, to, you need to take and, and make sure the people understand that I'm asking them to make an agreement with me. We're going to make a covenant. And I'm going to promise to be their God and to do and bless them and all this kind of stuff if they will obey me. And the people said, all that the Lord has said, we'll do it. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Then he t told Moses, come on back up. Moses goes back up, and, and he hears the voice of God coming from the mountain, and Moses says, God gives him the tables written with his own finger. Moses takes it back down to the people. God calls him and the elders back up for 40 days, and while they're gone, the people cry out for the gods of Egypt, and they have Aaron build them a golden calf. You remember the story. Moses comes back down, sees the golden calf, and his anger breaks the tablets, has to go back up in the mountain, and he has to write on the tablets this time. And while he's up there, the second time, receiving the commandments, not from God, but receiving them, writing them down himself, God reveals himself to, Abraham, to, to Moses in Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What does the name stand for, especially in connection with God in the Bible? His character. 
he proclaimed his character to him. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Did you notice before God said he was just, he said he was compassionate? Before God said, look, I am, for, I, I, I am going to punish people, he said, I'm willing to forgive. Before he said, listen, when you are unfaithful to me, he promises that he will be faithful. Do you notice before God talks about those aspects of his character that are holy and just and all that, he mentions those aspects of his character that provide grace, his compassion, his forgiveness, his mercy, his steadfast love. And so, the God who gave the Ten Commandments is this God whose character is filled with compassion and steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, before he gave the Ten Commandments, back in Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, and you might just want to open to Exodus 19, 3 to 6. There'll be several passages we'll look at. It's page 6 in your pew Bible. In Exodus 19, 3 to 6, it tells about Moses calling, going up on the mountain and God calling to him out of the mountain. Now, now, what's interesting about that is the very fact that God called Moses up to meet with him before he gave the Ten Commandments was itself an act of grace. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve fell? God placed an angel to guard the tree of life because man had sinned and man could no longer live in God's what? Presence. And now God calls Moses up to be in his presence. Yes, he hid in the mountain, but to call Moses up even to the mountain was an act of grace. Do you see that? Before he gave the law, he expressed himself in grace. I want you to notice the, the next verse. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. Stop there. I don't know why I'm so slow sometimes when I read my Bible. I've read this passage so many times. When I read in the past about God bearing us up on eagle's wings, the next thing in my mind was I was thinking about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He bore them on eagle's wings by bringing them out of Egypt. He bore them on eagle's wings by bringing them through the Red Sea. He bore them on eagle's wings by feeding the man in the wilderness. He bore them on eagle's wings to the foot of the mountain. But that's not why he bore them on eagle's wings. Look at the passage itself. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's grace. What had Israel done to deserve God bringing them to himself? Nothing. They followed him. They accepted his deliverance. It goes on, verse 5. 
Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a royal, holy nation. These, words that you shall, these are the words you shall speak to the people. Now, first Peter, in the first letter called First Peter, quotes from this passage. He says, you are to be a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Now, that word peculiar people, as it's translated in the King James Version, has been used by many, not just in the Adventist church, but outside, by many to say, we have to somehow live up and show that we're different from everybody else. Unless our lives are different, people won't see the need of God. There's an element of truth in that, but that's not what this word means. This word in the original means, you are, and the English Standard Version is a great translation, you are God's treasured possession. You are his possession. You belong to him. Did the Israelites belong to God based on their obedience or on God's grace? It's clear from the passage and from the story of the Exodus, it's based on God's grace. Now, I'm not saying obedience is important. We'll get to that in a little bit, so don't, don't accuse me of saying obedience doesn't matter. But at the very beginning, before he ever gives the commandments, he looks at them and he says, you belong to me, and because you belong to me, I'm going to give you something very valuable. And he's going to give his law. Because you belong to me, I have your happiness at heart, and he's going to give them his law. Do you see that at all? But it's within the context of grace. It's within the context of grace. Most of us have not figured out that the Ten Commandments don't begin with, you shall have no other gods before me. Were you aware of that? Turn to Exodus 20, just a couple pages, or maybe on the same page. Exodus 20, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. The Ten Commandments begin with this preamble that says, I am God, and I delivered you. And here's what I ask of you. Do you see the difference that makes? The Ten Commandments weren't given to pe people that didn't know God. They were given to people who know him. And yes, they are applicable to all the world, but God especially wants his people to see how they are applicable to their lives. And so when I say at the very beginning that the Ten Commandments are given by a compassionate God, by a God whose character is perfect, we are reminded of what it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. And you don't have to turn to it now. You can look for it later, Romans 7, verse 12, where Paul is talking about whether the law is still valid or not. And he says the law is holy and just and good. Now, in all the Bible, who alone is spoken of as being holy and just and good? It is God and God alone. So it has adequately been said by many, many authors in many, many ways that because a God who is a compassionate God, whose character is perfect, gave the Ten Commandments, that those Ten Commandments are really expressions of his very own character. And that is absolutely correct. 
it is absolutely correct. And so the first thing we see when we look at the context of, of the law being given to Israel and to us is that the law was given by a compassionate God who gave it out of grace. The second thing we're going to notice is that the law was given. This is going to say the context of grace. That's a misprint I, I put on it. The law was given in the context of the sanctuary. The law was given in the context of the sanctuary. It's an important point. Moses didn't receive the commandments by themselves. He received the commandments and instructions for the sanctuary at the same time. And the instructions for the sanctuary was God was giving the Israelites a small sandbox portrayal of the plan of salvation. When you think about the, the elements of, of what was in there, when you think about the elements of what was in there, you will discover that there is the altar where the sacrifices were made. There was the table of showbread, the symbol of God's provision for his people, both physical and spiritual. There was the, the candelabra, a symbol of God's light and truth. There was the altar of incense, a symbol of Christ's intercession and interceding for us when we sin. God gave the law and he gave the sanctuary at the same time. Why? Because the sanctuary shows what needs to be done when people break the law. They need forgiveness. They need a savior. They need a deliverer. It's clear. It's clear. I, 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 I want you to, to see that God gave grace when he gave the law. Because when you separate great law, the law from grace, you find yourself in a heap of trouble, don't you? I am. You can't separate the law, uh, grace from the law, however, because it's the law that shows our need of grace when we break it. And so the law was given in the context of the sanctuary. I want to go back to what I said earlier about God meeting with Moses because it, it, it applies to the sanctuary as well because I, and I haven't gotten to this point yet. Exodus 34, 29 to 33. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? The scripture says he had two table, tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. And he did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Do you see God's grace even in the fact that when he, Moses comes back from being with God, there's still a remnant kind of atmosphere around him from being in God's glory that's so bright and so awesome that those people who are, had been left behind in the, in the valley, they are blown away and blown back by the brightness from Moses' face. And God says, give them the commands. And when they, he gives them the commands, they say, we can't look at you. You've been with God, and, 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 and what's going to happen to us now that we look at you? Even receiving the commandments from Moses, when Moses had that, that 
leftover aura of God's glory on his face, even that was an act of grace. Most of us, when we think about why there was that brightness of God's glory, we think about, oh, that's because of God's holiness. That's because of God's purity. That's because of God's power. That's all true. But I want to read you a statement from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 330, about this brightness. By this brightness, God designed to impress upon Israel the sacred, exalted character of his law and the glory of the gospel revealed through Christ. While Moses was in the mount, God presented to him not only the tables of the law, but also the plan of salvation. He saw that the sacrifice of Christ was prefigured by all the types and symbols of the Jewish age. And it was the heavenly light streaming from Calvary, no less than the glory of the law of God, that shed such a radiance upon the face of Moses. That divine illumination symbolized the glory of the dispensation of which Moses was the visible mediator, a representative of the one true intercessor. The glory of God that shone on Moses' face was not just because of God's holiness and the holiness of his law. That's part of it. It was also because of God's grace and mercy, the glory of the gospel. The gospel, we are told, is even more glorious than the law. They go together. It's interesting. It's interesting that the people recognized the glory of God in Moses' face. At the same time, they recognized their own lack in their own lives. The law does that. It shows us we're sinners. But the gospel does that too. When we see the purity of Christ and the purity of his life, and as we behold him, we are both drawn to him and we also are ashamed of our own actions. Aren't we? I, I, I want to, you to notice... I want you to notice one more thing. I'm going to skip over the next slide, okay? Skip over the next one. Actually, the next two. I want you to notice one thing. There's another thing that the sanctuary service taught us, and that's where the law was placed. It was placed inside what? The ark. Years ago, I was in Benita, I was talking about this very point in a sermon. And I asked the question, and that church is, is somewhat configured like this, but it, it's quite a bit smaller. So I asked the question, what's on top of the ark? Looking for the answer, the mercy seat. And I asked it, and I got no response. So I thought, I'm going to try this again. So I said, what's on top of the ark? And I got no response. And finally, I asked it one more time, and one of the junior boys popped up and says, oh, come on, it's the roof. <laughs> Wrong arc. But the law was placed in the ark. Why? What is on top of the ark? I already gave you the answer. It's the mercy seat. The law was never given to stand there for, for the people of Israel to stand there and look and 
be in front of the law and saying, oh my goodness, I am in deep, deep trouble. And we are. The law was placed inside the ark because it was placed there within the context of grace. Grace to receive forgiveness. Grace to receive pardon. Grace for when we fall. But it doesn't stop there. There's another way grace was revealed within the context of the giving of the law. It's found in the fourth commandment. The commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath means rest. When the Sabbath was first given, Adam and Eve and mankind was to rest in the completion of God's finished work of creation, right? Later, another meaning would be given to the Sabbath. It would be, we are to rest in the completed work of Christ, who died on the cross, right? And when the commandment was given, it says, I am the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When it was given in Exodus 31, 12 to 13, there was an added reason for keeping the Sabbath. Exodus 31, 12 to 13. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, do what? Sanctify you. I make you holy. I'm the one who removes sin from your lives. I'm the one who sets you apart for me to be my special possession. I'm the one who transforms you. And as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, the one who puts the law in your hearts. Do you see grace there at all in the fourth commandment? Keeping it doesn't give us grace. When we receive grace, then we keep it. Please notice, the Ten Commandments were given from the very beginning within the context of grace. God designed it that way. Because apart from that grace, the law condemns us, the law condemns us to death, and the law can do nothing to save us. The law can protect us if we keep it, even if we keep it out of selfish reasons, even if we keep it because we have to. The law is going to protect me if I don't murder somebody. I don't have to go to jail. But in terms of my salvation and my standing with God, it's always given in the context of grace. As my sermon title says, the law was bathed in grace when God gave it. Do you see that at all? Maybe an illustration will be helpful. I've never, ever wanted to do this. Ever. I'm too anxious to accomplish something. I would probably try to do things I should not do. If I were on a rope, I would be three steps forward, 20 steps back. I would end up at the bottom before I got halfway to the top. It's just an honest statement. I question the sanity of those who do that. 
um, especially those who do it without a rope. In reality, the commandments and our relationships to the commandments are much like mountain climbing. We want to get to the top, but there is danger. All it takes is one slip and you're toast. And I don't say that. Scripture says the wages of sin is what? Death. It also says that all have sin. Now, these people are choosing to climb that mountain. Here's where the analogy falls down. We're all on this mountain because of what Adam did. Not, not, and our own sins, but the fact that we're a fallen race, okay? All right. Here's the point, if I may. Grace gives the safety rope. When we fall, it saves us. There's forgiveness. But if all you did was climb and fall, climb and fall, climb and fall, you'd be like me at the bottom before you ever got started in the analogy. On the other hand, did you notice, please put the picture back up there, did you notice that this person who's climbing has a master climber alongside them, pointing out where to put their hands and feet? And the longer this person stays on the side of the cliff climbing, learning what it means to be on that cliff, looking to the guide for direction, the greater the chance they're going to be slipping and falling less unless do you get my point it is both grace that provides forgiveness and grace that provides power to enable us to live the life we've been called to live when we get caught up in debates about when the law was given and is the law done away with the law was always in the context of grace even before it was written because there was a sacrifice almost immediately when man fell. I want to go back to my opening illustration. I don't want you missing the point. The interesting thing is all the students who knew Mr. Ashlock he was both the choir director and became my dean, were far more willing to follow what he said than they were to follow what Mr. North said. In fact, they'd go out of their way to do what he asked them to do. And they go out of their way to defy Mr. North, who was there to catch him. That's partly human nature. But it's also the difference between someone who's there out of love and concern for you and someone who's there to do their job and catch you. I'm glad I serve a compassionate God who when he gave his law did not merely give his law and say, all right, you're on your own, good luck. I'm glad I serve a God who said, Listen, before I tell you what I expect of you, I want you to know one thing. 
you are my treasured possession. I value you so much, I'm going to do everything I can do to keep you. And if you don't understand what it means for me to keep you, let me tell you about my sanctuary, which points forward to the cross and to the salvation I will provide in your behalf. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I carried you on eagle's wings so that I can bring you to myself because life without you isn't the same. That's what God said. Do you believe it? This great God says to each and every one of us, one of us more than anything else, I want you to belong to me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you gave us your law in the midst of grace. Thank you that your grace is more than sufficient. And thank you that Jesus is our master climber in this life. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.